Let's pray as we begin to hear from God in this message. Lord, I ask you, Father, that the message that you give us today is inspired by the Holy Spirit, not written by a man, but written by you, Father, for the needs that we have today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. Father, we put all of this in your name. Amen. Uh, the title of, of my uh, message today is Finding Happiness. I thought it was the perfect message to end the year and look forward to the new year, uh, because really what I see in this world is that there are so many people, so many people who are profoundly unhappy, uh, not only people in the world, but even Christians. You know, you go to some churches and you walk in and you won't see any smiling faces. You'll see scowling faces and you almost want to say, hey, what is it? You're going to heaven. You know, you're going to heaven. What part of that have you forgotten? Uh, and so because so many of us are finding ourselves unhappy, uh, I wanted to go through the Bible today and find those places where God speaks to us about those issues. Now, I'm not talking about those people who suffer from what I'll call clinical depression, those people that require a pharmacological uh, issue to aid them. But I'm talking about the rest of us uh, who don't have that issue, yet find ourselves unhappy. And so here's the question. How can we start the new year in a different way? How can I go out and show the love of God to people that don't know it? How can I exhibit the kind of happiness in my life uh, that people take note of? You know, uh, my, my physician, a very good guy, uh, said to me, uh, he said, you know, John, I have to ask you. He said, you're, you're so different uh, from all the other patients that I have. He said, I have all these wealthy patients here, and yet most of them, the vast majority of them, are profoundly unhappy. And yet when you come in, even though I know you have issues in your life, you're not, you're not unhappy. What is it? What are you doing that is causing that. And I said, well, Scott, I give it to you in one word. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's the difference. You want to know why I'm happy? It's because I have Jesus in my heart, and Jesus is in my life, and everything that I do, it's about Jesus. Uh, and uh, I, I wanted him to know that. So what can we do to be an agent for uh, infectious change in this world? How can we tell people to be happier? How can we lead them? And I want you to be able to have that today in your heart. You know, I want to lay the foundation for this message first factually, and that is that in the nine-year history of the Harris Poll, uh, the survey of American happiness, the highest index ever reached for the measurement of, of happiness in America was 35%. 35% of those answered indicated that they were happy. Now, how sad is this? That means that effectively... Uh, there's a cloud of perpetual grayness over two out of three people. Uh, and by some end, uh, estimates, clinical depression is now 10 times more rampant than it ever was before a century ago. The World Health Organization, the World Health Organization forecasts that by the year 2020, depression will become the second leading cause of disease in the world. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? that depression would cause that. Well, we know that. We know that, that physicians speak to us about that. It used to be, it used to be that older people in their 60s or 70s uh, generally scored higher uh, in terms of happiness and contentment and appreciation of life. 
But that's not the case anymore. That has changed. Age alone does not seem to affect whether you're happy or not uh, and, or whether you're satisfied or not. How can this be? Education is more accessible than ever before. We've made advances in medicine and technology. Uh, and yet 66% of us cannot find an adequate reason to check the happiness box on a questionnaire. Uh, and so to me, this is a profound problem, uh, and it speaks to the need for God. So how do we explain this pervasive sense of gloom? Uh, is there some physiological reason that explains it? Well, certainly for some people, that might be partially true, but it's not true for the majority. It's certainly not. The problem is that for many of us, our lives have been defined by Madison Avenue, by advertising, by television, by radio, by newspapers. We see these advertisements about the kind of car you need, about the kind of money that you need, about the kind of vacations that you need to have, about the kind of lifestyle that you need to have, even the kind of clothes that you have. And so as we are really surrounded by this, we begin to get depressed when what we have does not find itself in conformity with Madison Avenue. And so we have fallen far away from what God has wants us in our, our lives, from the simplicity of the gospel, for the way that Jesus and his disciples lived. And so really, I want to focus today uh, on what the Lord would have said, what can really lead to true happiness. In fact, researchers have found that even if you give more money to poor people, once they get to middle class level, that they don't get any more happiness, all right? Certainly from the poor level they do, but once they reach middle class level, that money doesn't make a difference in their lives. They're still profoundly unhappy. And so here is the point. There is, however, uh, another way that the Bible speaks about happiness. Happiness happens when you give of yourself to others. This is how God has designed us. You have been designed to be the handiwork of God, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so here's the deal, that as you give to others of your life, as you focus on others, as you focus on the need of other people and whatever they are about, you then begin to lose the self-perspective. All of a sudden, it's not about you. It's not about what you lack, but rather it's about what others need. Uh, and this is the example that God has given us uh, in a powerful way to tell us how to live. Uh, this is what we need to show the world. One of the best examples of that was the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and you know that's found in Luke chapter 10. We're not going to read that today, but that's a powerful story. Uh, and in that story, you know, first the priest goes by and the Levite goes by as this poor, uh, poor victim is found beaten on the side of the road and bleeding and left to die. And even though the priest and the Levite were religious people. They didn't want to go and get their hands dirty. They didn't want to go and get their hands dirty because in their religion, getting their hands dirty made them ritually unclean. And so they walked on the southern side of the street. But the Samaritan came. And the Samaritan, who was part of a reviled group of people, who was not part of the socially acceptable people, but yet when he saw his heart was broken for this person, and so he stopped, he raised this man up, he bound up his wounds, he put him on his donkey, he drove him into town. He then put him in an inn and told the innkeeper to take care of him. 
and gave him money and said when he came back to town on his return, if he required repayment of more money, he would take care of it. He wanted the man taken care of. That's how God has designed you to be. That is the example of happiness. If you want to be happy in your life, this is how God wants you to live. Uh, and, and it becomes so poignant when you see the scriptures speak about this. In fact, I want to point your attention to uh, one of the first verses we have to study, which is Acts 20, verse 35. You'll see it on the board. Uh, and, and it's as follows. In everything I did, this is Paul speaking uh, back then, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You have been created to give. And I'm not talking just about money and funds, but your time, your love, your affirmation, uh, all of the gifts that God has given you. God wants you to take those and to give them to people that need it. That is how you will begin to live a happy, profound life. Look, you can't change the political climate in this country, all right? It's sickening. You can't turn on television. You can't watch the news. You can't hear any discussion because day after day after day, the poison comes across. The world is, is profoundly divided, profoundly divided. And frankly, some of that has now integrated itself in the churches, all right? That poison has all over the place. And so you can't affect change there, but you can change the world one-on-one -on -one by making yourself the agent of change the way God wants you to do. You, you can lighten the, the load of the homeless. You can lighten the load and brighten the day of people that are hurting and lost. Uh, you can bring joy, uh, joy to people that are gloomy. You can do all of this because God has equipped you with the Holy Spirit. And some of us have spent a lifetime turning down the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we are not empowered. Well, this message is designed to make you turn up the Holy Spirit to make you so much more empowered to change this world one-on-one -on -one, uh, in the most deep, profound way. Look, look at Jesus. He stands at the very entranceway to the gate of joy. Uh, he was accused of so much, but he was never accused of being an angry man or being a self-centered man. Those accusations never took place. He visited the sick. He healed those who needed to be healed. He raised the dead. He went to people that were despised and affirmed them and lifted them up. And he spoke amazing words of affirmation wherever he went, wherever he went. He went to weddings and even was placed in charge of the wine. That's the kind of guy Jesus was, that people knew that he had a sense of celebration and joy. He was filled with the joy of the Spirit. You can just imagine what it must have been like to walk with him for three years. Uh, I have a, a, a little cartoon on my refrigerator that shows Jesus walking down the road with his disciples, and he's got them under his arms uh, as if they're the best, closest buddies, and they're laughing and smiling. And that's the Jesus that I want to teach you about today. That's the Jesus that's there for you to have that kind of joy uh, in his life. Thousands, thousands came out to hear Jesus, and many hundreds of others chose to follow him because of the countenance of joy in his life. Look, 
All Jesus said was that he came to give life with joy and abundance. Look, if you would, on the board, and you see John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus gives us, life to the full. And here's the point. Jesus gives you that fullness of life, not just here, but on the other side. Jesus wants you to be fully happy here, walking, happy, contented with the knowledge that you are fulfilling the will of God in every way. Uh, And so this becomes incredible. Look, when the angels came to announce the birth of Jesus, they didn't say, look, we we give you uh, news today uh, of great responsibility, of great responsibility. What did they say? We announced today great news of joy, great news of joy that God himself is now residing with men. You know, I researched this, and I found that there, were, there are more than 2,700 passages in the Bible that contain words like joy, happiness, gladness, merriment, pleasure, celebration, cheer, laughter, delight, and exaltation. Our joy matters to God your Father. He wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be contented. He wants you to walk in this world filled with the expectation and affirmation of of the God of the creation in every way. Look, this is not a sermon about superficial happy talk, all right? I don't do superficial discussions, all right? I'm not interested in that. This isn't about happy talk. Jesus spoke candidly, candidly about sin, about death, about the needs of the human heart. Jesus never held back. Uh, Yet he did so with hope. Uh, He brought joy to all those who surrounded him and who made him their leader. But now he has called us. He's called us. He's called you, just like the Good Samaritan. He wants you to be his hands and his feet in this world. He wants you to deliver the good news. He wants you to be the agent of joy and happiness to a lost world. Uh, The Bible has given us a number of verses, a number of verses that address this need that can lead to greater happiness. I want to focus on six of these, and I have them on the board for you as we begin to look at this. First, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Encourage one another. Go around and lift up those who are downcast. Are you an encourager? Or do you think God instead made you a a fruit inspector? Because you know, I find that there's a lot of Christians that have gotten that a little mixed up. Let me clear that up for you right now. You're not to be a fruit inspector. You're to be an encourager, a person of affirmation, a person who when he comes into a room or a woman that comes into a room, the room lights up because that's a person of love and caring and respect and you reach out to people who are hurting, and the world is absolutely loaded with people like that. And so we need to understand that. Look, God wants you to comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, uh, and be patient with everybody. That's the nature of the call of God on our lives. Encourage. Be an encourager. Be someone who comes into the room and finds people that need encouragement, and you put your arm around them, and you lift them up. That is what God has called you to do. Then look at the next verse. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interests of the others. Can you imagine that? Don't be interested in your own perspective, your own welfare, your own interest. But instead, being called to, to Christ, our call is to care about the other person, not myself. What can I do to lift up the other person? What can I do to advance the will of God in the lives of somebody else? The, the cure of unhappiness, frankly, uh, the cure of unhappiness among the people of God is to be more concerned with others' interests than to be concerned with your own lives. Uh, it is as if we give our lives for the advancement of others, that we reside above the anguish of this world. Can you imagine if all the Christians in this world live like that? Can you imagine how life would change? Can you imagine how this country would change if that were the case? If suddenly we were all concerned about others and prayed for them and lifted them up, uh, this very view characterized the entire life of Jesus. He had the ultimate selfless mind. Uh, he had a sacrificial mind uh, and a serving mind in every possible way. You know that. You saw Jesus, what he did as he washed the feet of the disciples. Here he was, the creator of the universe, bowing and washing the feet of his lowly disciples. Why? Because that was the nature of the call of Christ. That's what God is saying for you today and expecting for you today. You want to be happy? You want to have a happy life? Here's the prescription. Think about them. Don't think about you because what you will find as you walk down this path and you think about others and you want to do what others do, God will lift you up. You know, this church is a perfect example of that. I am bowled over by the number of volunteers in this church. This is a church that's only four weeks old, and yet we have something like 60 different volunteers. I'd like to give them a hand right now. This is what it means to step up for God. We have people volunteering in prison ministries. We have people volunteering in hospital missions. We have people volunteering at the information desk, setting it up so that people can be fitted in myriad types of ministries. That's what God has called us to do. That's the work of the church. You understand? That's the work of the church. And so that's the work of God. And so here's the thing. God is giving us this as an example. Look also at the next passage I have up there, which is James chapter 5. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, what does that mean? What is God saying there? He's saying that the first thing to happiness is to confess your sins, to ask God to forgive you, to go to people who you've wronged and ask them to forgive you and repent because you cannot find happiness in this world if there is hidden sin. And so if you've done something against somebody or done something that you shouldn't have done or said something that you shouldn't have said, you need to confess it. You need to go to people and ask them to forgive you, all right? And then you need to pray for each other. Oh, Lord, what a, what a prescription that is for advancing the kingdom of God. Pray for people. You know, when you pray for somebody, you can't hate them. When you pray for somebody, you can't seek revenge. When you pray for somebody, you don't sit there and harbor a grudge. But instead, you're praying for them and all that pain, 
all that poison is dissipated out of your life, all right? And so this, this is an important way of understanding how God wants us to live, how important that is. Uh, and so we shouldn't focus on holding on to grudges uh, and letting resentment build up. You don't become a happy person because you have grudges, all right? No grudge is going to make you a happy person. You have to ask God to take this away from you, really. And it's hard, I understand, because people have been hurt. People have done terrible things to you. People have said terrible things about you. But let me tell you something right now. God is covering you. If somebody has done something evil against you, I want you to know something. God will square the score. That's not your battle. That's God's battle, all right? That's God's battle. I told you that one of my favorite verses is in Genesis, where Joseph looked at his brothers 17 years, 17 years after they sold him into slavery. And he looks at them, and he says to them, after seeing all the evil that they did, he looked at them, and he goes, what you did for evil, God meant for good. You understand? That's your God. That's how much he loves you. I want you to understand that. So remove these grudges. Remove these issues of revenge and hatred. You don't need it. God is protecting you. You're going to heaven. Now experience all the joy that he has for you in this world in every way. Listen, the field of psychosomatic medicine recognizes the link of personal problems uh, that cause physical disease. That's well recognized. So if, in fact, you continue to dwell on evil things, dwell on depression, sink further and further in a hole, eventually your physical body suffers. It's a known fact. It's a known fact. Well, break the cycle. Start now. Start today. Make it a point that you're going to lead a different kind of life, that you're asking the Holy Spirit to lift you up and guide you in every possible way. Look also at the next slide. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. That's the call that God puts on our life as Christians. You want to live a happy life? That life requires you to serve others, okay? Requires you to serve others. Now look, I don't tell you how you do that. That's between you and God and the Holy Spirit because each of us has been given a different set of talents and gifts. But within that parameter, God has given you. He's equipped you. He's filled you with the Holy Spirit. Now find a way to serve the world. Find a way to serve the lost uh, and do it in love. And this is the kind of mindset God wants us to have because as you do this again, you're looking outside of yourself. You're not focusing on yourself, you're focusing on others. Then look at the next verse, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Well, let's park ourselves there for a bit. Be kind and compassionate. Can you honestly say that, that you are a kind and compassionate person? I'm amazed, unfortunately, that there are so many Christians that are not kind and not compassionate. I'm sorry to say that. I've seen them. They've come across me in my life. I've seen many of them in church. All right? They're not kind. They're not compassionate. 
They don't care. Well, do you think that evidence is the, the spirit of God in their life? Who is going to come to your church? Who is going to come to be your friend when you're that kind of harsh, judgmental person? But instead, if you have the love of God, you love people. People want to be around you. They want to be embraced by the love of God. Don't you understand? That's exactly how we all are. We all want to be loved. We want to be cared for. You want to change the world? You want to have happiness? That's what you need to do. You need to do that. And as you do that, forgiving each other. Yes, forgiving each other. Make it a point today to forgive those that have hurt you. Don't go forward from today and and still have resentment and pain in your life. Uh, Because here's the thing. Kindness is an unselfish concern for the welfare of others and a desire to be helpful even at great personal concern. You're kind even when it hurts, even when to go that extent, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to be kind, but God touches our hearts and gives us the the ability to do that. Look, being tenderhearted is a sympathetic and affectionate way to have interest in the lives of others and a willingness to bear their burdens. When you see somebody who's downcast and hurting, when you see somebody who's in pain, do you reach out to them? Do you embrace them? Do you tell them you love them? Or do you find a way to walk on the other side of, of the street? And, and look, forgiveness here in this, in this concept is a readiness to overlook personal wrongs against oneself. Look, we can all sit here and put a list of personal wrongs that have been committed against us. We could all sit here, and I'll compare my list to your list. And here's the bottom line. What good will that do? What good will that do? There's no good coming out of that. But instead, I take those wrongs and I bow before the throne of God. I say, Lord, they're yours. They're not mine, Lord. You forgave me. You saved me. You lifted me up. Lord, I want to change the world. I want to embrace the lost. I want to help those that need the help, Lord. And I can only do this as if I forgive. Because I can't walk around with that metastatic disease in my heart. You understand? You can't love when your heart is filled with revenge and pain. And I know this is a hard message to hear. All right? Because I know some of you have been profoundly hurt. You've been profoundly publicly embarrassed. People have done unspeakable things to you. Yes, some of you have even been hurt in the most difficult ways, even in church. And I will say this, that perhaps the greatest pain that any Christian can have is being abused in church. I call it sacred scars. But let me tell you, church, God wants you to forget it. God wants you to move on. God God wants you to move on. He doesn't want you to go back and ruminate and think about it and build up the resentment in your heart. You can't have a happy life. You can't lead a productive life if you continue to drag that anchor around. You've got to make it a point today to say, Lord, I'm moving forward today. I'm moving forward today. I want to be happy, Father. I want to lead that kind of life that affects so many other people for you, Father. And I know you did it. You demonstrated in every way who was victimized more than Jesus. Who was reviled more than Jesus. You saw it in every day of his life, and yet he loved those people. He lifted them up. Uh, And so this becomes such an important part of understanding how God wants us to live. Look also at the next slide. 1 John 3, verse 11. 
Love. This is about love. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. That is the message of Christ. Here it is. Love one another. Love here is not being used in the sense of human love. You know what human love is. I'll love you if you love me back. Right? You treat me well, I'll treat you back. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, if I find, oh, your love meter is going down a little bit towards me, then my love meter starts going down also against you. This is not how we have been designed by God. God has designed us to love one another, even when people don't treat us right. This is how you're going to leave this place and change the world and have the kind of life that when we come back here next year, you're going to say to me, John, I have never been happier in my life. I have never been more contented in my life. Those words that you spoke have continued to resonate in my life. The Holy Spirit has lifted me up and spoken to me and shown me the truth of that. And that's what it is. This is divine love, the greatest kind of love that there is. It is the love that Christ had for us. This cannot be duplicated within your own strength. You can't do this because I know what you're thinking right now. You're saying, John, this is a great message. But let me tell you, buddy, you don't understand. I'm wired differently than you are. You think you're wired differently than I am? You guys don't know me that well. All right? I mean, I spent my life in court. What kind of, what kind of a guy do you think I was? I was a tough guy. You understand? I was a tough guy. One, one of the uh, uh, municipal leaders of a, of, a, of a government that I had sued on behalf of a big company said to me one day in the middle of a 16-week trial, 16 weeks long, he said to me, I want you to know something. The worst day in my life was the day you graduated from law school. <laughs> and here's the thing, I was proud of it. Yes, yes. Because that was defining the kind of person I was. I didn't take prisoners. You understand? I was a tough guy. There wasn't much love there. You know, there wasn't much love. But, you know, thankfully, God grabbed me and he shook me and he changed me and caused me to understand that life is entirely differently. When you walk with God, when you call yourself a Christian, we are to love one another. That is why when you come into this room and you come into this place, I will hug each and every one of you. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that God loves you, that I'm his ambassador here, and that's what I want to do, and that's what I expect from you. That's how your life is going to change this year. That's how this year is going to be different from all the other years before. And so as we extend the love of God to others in kindness and prayer and in service and encouragement, we are lifted up by the Holy Spirit. You see how this works? It's like a boomerang. You throw the boomerang out there, and as it spins, it comes back. It comes back. And everything that you do to extend the love of God, the encouragement, the affirmation, and the prayer, and the forgiveness, all of that comes back to you, even though you didn't ask for it, even though you didn't even consider it. It's the way God operates. He lifts you up in the most profound way. And so let us make this commitment this year to bring happiness into the heart of the lost. Let us make this commitment this year to be the good Samaritans in this town, to look for people who are hurting, 
to find people who are on the side of the road and to lift them up in love and care for them and see to their needs. This is what God wants from us, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. The world is desperate, desperate for this kind of love and unselfishness and kindness. This is the kind of love and action that only Jesus Christ can bring. Only Jesus can bring. And the returns back to you will be enormous. You're not just building up rewards for the other side when you get to heaven. You are building up a life here that will be filled with glorious affirmation uh, and kindness and pain and, and love in so many ways. You will have people that will love you the likes of which you will never have seen before. You will receive enormous happiness, not only in this world, but on the world to come. Amen? Let's bow in prayer as we ask God to seal this message. Father, I ask you as we close this service that, that you take these words and make them resonate in our heart, Lord. Help us, Father, to recognize what we need to do to be happy, how we need to be, live the kind of life that you want us to live, Lord. How can we impact this world when, when we don't exhibit these kinds of attitudes? We need to change our lives today, Father, and walk the way you want us to walk, in love and encouragement, in affirmation, in kindness, in forgiveness, and in prayer, recognizing that each and every one of us here has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And with that sealing, Lord, we are empowered to act as your agents. Lord, let us leave here being the hands and feet of Christ in this town and the world in every possible way. Bless our people, Lord. Bless them, protect them, and bring them back safely next week to continue the worship of you, Father, in every way. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed.